0: Hello and welcome back to Talking Insights, the podcast series from SMR. As always, I'm your host, Srika Govindaraju, and together we're going to be exploring the big questions of today, taking a look beyond the world of research to uncover key insights about the world around us, how a sector deals with understanding and predicting the present and future of society. So let's take a look behind the numbers and try and uncover the answers to the biggest questions of our time. Conspiracy theories have been a part of the social psyche for centuries. People have always looked to challenge established thinking, find hidden meaning in symbols, and search for a grand, unifying plan that explains the world around them. From the Freemasons to ancient aliens, the New World Order to the Deep State, conspiracies have undoubtedly become part and parcel of society and culture. Even with this precedent, however, the rise of conspiracies during the COVID pandemic has been nothing short of astounding. Whether believing that the virus is man-made, caused by 5G radiation, or a plot by Bill Gates to vaccinate the world, the internet and social media in particular have been a hotbed of speculation, fear, and suspicion of what the truth really is. Today we discuss a fascinating study carried out by King's College London, exploring the connection between social media usage and belief in COVID conspiracy theories, and also explore what this means during the current pandemic, and how conspiracies as a whole have shaped our society. I'm delighted today to be joined by the author of this study, Dr. Daniel Allington, Senior lecturer in social and cultural and artificial intelligence at King's College London and deputy editor of the Journal of Contemporary Antisemitism. Dr. Arlington, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me, Shrika. Thank you. So um, let's start with we we're talking conspiracies here and you know, during coronavirus as well. From your point of view, what, what to you makes or defines what a conspiracy theory is? Uh, are there some set parameters that you look for when, when you classify something as a conspiracy theory?
1: That's a very interesting question and a very difficult one to answer. Uh, there have been many books published on um, conspiracy theories, and usually one of the first things that the, the author will try to do is to try to define a conspiracy theory. Um, mm. So there have been lots of lots of attempts to do that, and it's, it's not easy. But I think the main thing, the, main, the most important thing in explaining what a conspiracy theory is is to dis- distinguish it from what it is not. Um, mm. Not all accusations of conspiracy are Properly described as conspiracy theories, you know the, the police investigates uh, criminal conspiracies all the time. Um, yeah. There are, uh, you know, there are many many criminal offences such as you know insider trading. That's a sort of a conspiracy, um, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's important to to recognise that you know that if you know just accusing someone of participating in some sort of conspiracy is not in itself that that, that doesn't mean you're 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 a conspiracy theorist. That's not in itself conspiracy theory. A uh, conspiracy theory, what we usually call conspiracy theories are something more than that. They are grand explanations of, of history, of current events, uh, of social reality, where the, the, the uh, explanatory principle, the thing that explains everything, is that a group of people got together in secret and mm-hmm. the plan to uh, they made a plan in secret to kind of pull the wool over everybody's eyes to trick everybody else and uh, to manipulate everybody into doing things that are not in their interests so these are not like the sort of discrete you know individual conspiracies that uh, you know that the police mm-hmm. investigate it's not like where you know what one person um Works together with another person to 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 achieve something secretly. So, uh, what we what we usually call a conspiracy theory is it's an explanation of major public events in terms of a small number of people having got together. And made a secret plan to manipulate everybody into doing something that's not in their interests. And these are these conspiracy theories. They're really they're supposed to explain uh, massive long term events. Um, it's not just you know a couple of people getting together to um,
0: to, to break the law on one occasion. Mm-hmm. And it's do you think this is something that's quite. Quite recent, or is it something that's been present throughout history? Because you know, when I think of conspiracy theories, I think of things, you know, the moon landing hoax kind of idea. You know, things originating from the 20th century onwards. How how long historically have conspiracy theories, it, in the sense of the definition you know you've given, how long have they existed? And are there some early examples that you can point to?
1: Well, most scholars of of this phenomenon would agree that conspiracy theories as we understand them today really date back to the aftermath of the French Revolution. Before that, you you have people accused of conspiracy, obviously, and you have real conspiracies going on. And some of the conspiracies that people are accused of are very grand, but... Uh, what we understand today is conspiracy theories have really get started in the aftermath of the of the French Revolution, and they come in as a way of explaining the french revolution and this mm-hmm. is, we have conservative figures so um figures who want the, wanted the the um the monarchy to continue uh usually conservative catholic figures associated with, with you know they they wa- they wanted the, the L'Ancien regime to continue as it had before. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to explain why this, in their view, terrible thing had happened. How could it have happened? And the the first explanation that that came up of this this kind, uh, it was from a, a priest called Augustin Baruel. And he argued that the French Revolution had been brought about by the Freemasons and the Illuminati. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and now by that point, the Illuminati had not existed for quite a long time. <laughs> the <they're laughs> organization that was founded in Bavaria and Germany, it, it had been defunct for a long time by that point. Mm. The Freemasons, of course, were real and they existed. They were at that time um, a, a very progressive organization. A lot of free thinkers joined, joined the Freemasons wanting to get away from uh, religious superstition, etc., um, and uh, the, the argument was was that they had some they had they had kind of secretly conspired together to produce the French Revolution. Now, quite soon afterwards, uh, to these two groups of conspirators was added a third, which was mm. Jews. So very soon afterwards, the argument comes to be that it's not that it's it's the Freemasons, the Illuminati, and the Jews. Ah, they yeah. Working together pre- uh, produced this this major. Uh, so, social consequence of the French Revolution. Um, so, and of course, one, and one of the reasons for that was that the, the French Revolution had benefited. It had led to the, the emancipation of the Jews in France. Mm. So, some people who uh, saw other consequences of the, of the French Revolution, which uh, which they were less positive about, <laughs> they, they were saying, "Well, you know, who benefited from the revolution? The Jews did. So, it must have been the Jews must have been in some way responsible for this." So. Mm. Um, that, that that was really how conspiracy the conspiracist explanations got started. Now, soon after that, there were other uh, conspiracy theories which which, which appeared. Um, you know that was the, that was the conservative conspiracy theory in France: the idea that the revolution had happened because the Freemasons, the Illuminati, and the Jews had made it happen. Um, but quite soon afterwards, we have a, a radical conspiracy theory appearing, which is looking at the revolution as it has actually happened and saying, well, you know, this hasn't really turned out as we thought it was going to. Why has it all gone so horribly wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because the Jesuits were conspiring to, to, to frustrate it.
0: Oh, so that's that another party after that point, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a rival conspiracy theory. So you've got one, set, huh. so conservative conspiracy theorists saying that the okay, the, yeah. the Illuminati and the Jews have caused the revolution, and you've got a set of radical conspiracy theorists arguing that je- the Jesuits have, have caused the revolution to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then after that, quite soon after that, we have um, we, we, you know, we have other conspiracy theories appearing. Um, but it's that first conspiracy theory which has really provided the model for all of the others, and it's really been the most influential one. All the, you know, th- th- ever since then we've got um, yeah. That's the one. I mean, it gradually changes. You know, in the the earliest versions of that conspiracy theory, as I said, we have only the 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 Freemasons and the the Illuminati. The Jews are added as a sort of junior partner to begin with, mm. but throughout the, the 19th century, the the Jews. Uh, gain in importance in this conspiracy theory, and the the, the allegation eventually becomes that the Jews are the, the the dominant partners in it. And then in the early 20th century, you uh, have people arguing that the the Jews uh, founded the, the Illuminati and founded the um, founded the Freemasons. And so then, then Jews are seen as being the the, the driving force behind all of it. But it, it's that that basic
0: story uh, has formed the, the blueprint for all of the conspiracy theories ever since then. And just the, the three names that you mentioned, then, you know, when it comes to that, that uh, the early French Revolution conspiracy, you know, the Freemasons, the Illuminati, you know, Jewish people, I think that those are the three names that even today, I think, still come up in, you know, sort of fringe conspiracy circles. What did you think about those, you know, those groups or in the case of the, you know, the Freemasons, the Illuminati, these organizations in particular, that, that draws these allegations almost or draws these suspicions uh, from people to to involve them in it? In these conspiracies,
1: I think it's important to recognise that there is nothing that any any of those groups does which actually justifies these allegations. Um, There's not something about there is perhaps there's a perhaps there's a degree of mystery about all of them. You know, the Illuminati are particularly mysterious because they do not exist. uh, (laughs) It's been a very long time since the Illuminati existed. Um, The Freemasons they have all they have uh, they're they're very secretive about. about their, about what actually goes on in what mm-hmm. is members are bound by secrecy, etc. Uh, Jews are not secretive in the same way, but I suppose you could argue that you know because they don't because Jews don't preach their religion and try to try to convert people to it, mm-hmm. maybe that makes people think that they they might be hiding something. I don't know, but it's really important to recognize that none of these groups has done anything that would actually merit these these allegations against them. It is a fantasy, yeah. um, and that's why I. Uh, I'll use the word conspiracy theory when I'm um, when I'm talking to members of the public, but um, uh, I, I prefer to use the word um, the conspiracy fantasy to describe mm. what's going on. These are yeah. fantasies. It's a fantasy of, of the world in which there are, um, uh, in which the re- the reason why. Bad things happen is because a small secretive group of t- terribly evil people is, is intentionally making all those bad things happen. to mm-hmm. say it's the kind of you, know, you find this as a plot in um, in lots of uh, you know popular entertainment. I mean, you know, uh, a few weeks ago in lockdown, I was watching uh, a Marvel a movie. Marvel uh, movie with my son uh-huh. yeah America, the winter soldier I you know you have this this old nazi scientist who's, whose mind has been preserved in a computer and he's secretly manipulating everything behind the scenes mm-hmm. yeah the, the organization that you thought was good was actually being controlled by bad people um it, it you know it's a good story but the trouble is that conspiracy theorists uh promote it as being real and not only that, but the, the the baddies in their in their fantasy, it's not uh, Hydra like in that Marvel movie, <laughs> it's a non-existent organisation for the people who never existed. The people that they accuse of these conspiracies are real people who've got mm. nothing to do with
0: it, and in no way deserve these allegations. So moving on to, I uh, think it leads quite nicely into you know the, the topic of the study, the topic of the research, which is looking at the, the prevalence of uh, you know, conspiracies during this COVID pandemic, and of course the role of social media and people receiving their news from social media and shaping their, their exposure to this. Uh, first of all, you know, just before we look at the research itself, what really interested you about this initially and, uh, and drove you to you know, conduct the research? What tipped you off that this is going to be an interesting area to look into?
1: Really, it was looking at the... Uh, I, because I've been researching conspiracies for a few years, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was familiar with the, the research literature on conspiracy theories. Uh, and I knew it was a it was a robust and regular finding that people with conspiracy beliefs about um, other public health issues such as mm-hmm. um, such as AIDS and vaccination, um, they were less likely to be following public health advice. yeah, so it's, this has been a, it's quite a robust finding. A number of studies have found this in the past. You know people who believe that um, uh, believe that AIDS or HIV is was actually intentionally created. Um, in order to kill black people are less likely to be using condoms than people who don't believe that people who believe that vaccinations are in some way uh, you know that people who believe in conspiracy theories connected with vaccinations mm-hmm. that the vaccination is um, that vaccination programs are in some way nefarious they are less likely to be vaccinating their children so i knew that there that, that there was this finding that people who believe in in conspiracy fantasies connected with with public health issues are less likely to be following public health advice and i think well mm-hmm. you know it, it seems likely that people who believe in these conspiracy theories connected with covid19 are less likely will, will be found to be less likely to be following um public health advice with regard to you know social distancing and washing etc and that mm-hmm. I, I set out to research um, and of course that's what we found
0: So there's two sides. this of course there's there's the the actual you know COVID pandemic, which is very much ongoing as of as of us recording this conversation, Uh, Mm -hmm. and of course the 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 social media side, the social media phenomenon, which you know over the past ten years or so has just become this absolute minefield in, in a way of information and misinformation. How have you seen you know in in your line of work, in your line of study, how have you seen the role of social media evolving over the course of the past few years? to become not just a news source, but the the primary news source for a lot of people? How has this impacted, you know, these these conspiracies and the the prevalence and the spread of them? Well, yeah, you've put your finger on it
1: there. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the major changes of the last 20 years or so is that people are getting more and more of their information from Internet sources, um, and less and less of it from the the more conventional sources, such as printed newspapers, broadcast television, etc., uh the problem there is that this um whereas i mean let's say uh, a newspaper publishes something okay which is not true okay you'll find people some people who read the newspaper will read it and believe it others will read it and Mm -hmm. realize that it's not true and complain about it Mm -hmm. but nobody sees your social media feeds except you so and is mine except me and it's the same for everybody. We're all getting this personalised, individual stream of uh, of, of posts um, coming to us, you know, tailored. Mm-hmm. For. So this the same. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, everybody in one uh, in America there was this great, the great tradition of of uh, news local newspapers for particular cities, and in, in Britain we've had uh, where our, our major newspapers have tended to be the, the national ones. Mm-hmm each of these newspapers was read by many, many people. You get radio news broadcasts heard by even more people. You get television news, which was you know, in the latter part of the 20th century, the, the major source of news. Mm-hmm. Millions of people watching the same broadcasts. You've got a lot of potential there for people to recognize when things are wrong. And in addition to that, we've, uh, over, the, over the decades, we've uh, developed quite sophisticated and, and effective means of, of regulating what goes on those media uh you know in britain we've got ofcom for example uh which which regulates all the broadcast media uh, newspapers here tend to be uh, t- tend to have voluntary but in but independent regulation not everything is regulated and in america and other countries there's not necessarily something like that but you've got uh, the possibility of lawsuits for example mm-hmm. if, if a newspaper publishes an allegation against someone which is not true that person can sue um, if a newspaper publishes um, untrue information which causes people to hurt themselves, then you can have a class action lawsuit or something like that. There's, so there's, there's all sorts of mechanisms mm. that advanced society has for regulating uh, what appears in the press and the broadcast media. Now, none of that applies to social media, yeah. partly because there's a lack of, of – of, um, we don't have something like Ofcom that regulates it. But um, but mostly, I think because of this, the, because of the way that uh, the information you get in social through social media is tailored to you, mm-hmm. so people w- who are receiving information that is not true, they may believe it, they may not. But because of the way that social media works, and you tend to get more, you get more of the stuff that you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, incorrect information coming through social media is less likely to be seen by people who are going to critique it and make a fuss about it.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of, um, I think, one of the discussions that's come up recently is, uh, I think, YouTube, uh, especially, how quickly YouTube's algorithm that you know, recommends videos to you, uh, if you watch a video on a certain topic, you know, within four or five videos, you could end up on a really fringe conspiracy content. Uh, yes, which
1: they, they, they used to say, I mean, his, his channel was, was deleted a little while ago, but they used to say that on YouTube, you're never more than a, a couple of clicks away from Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- this is a real problem because it's, mm-hmm. it's showing YouTube and the other social media platforms, what well, they, the other yeah, major ones anyway, what they're geared up to do that is to give you, uh, to give you more of the kind of stuff that you're likely to respond positively to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that unfortunately means that, you know, if you start watching and liking, um, Things which are you know a little bit inclined in that direction towards the, the conspiracy theories, you're, you're going to dis- you're likely to be directed down a rabbit hole of more and more um, bizarre and extreme content,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and nobody's regulating this properly. And also because it tends to be con- consumed in private, people who haven't gone down that rabbit hole don't necessarily don't necessarily realise it's there. Mm-hmm. Another thing I found in other research is that, uh, again, probably because of this, uh, people who who watch these videos tend to be—I believe—they are are disproportionately likely to be uh, positively predisposed to accept the message of the videos to begin. Yeah. The evidence for that is another piece of research that I've done, um, where I was looking. What I and my um, my uh, um, co-author we looked at over a thousand comments on one particular youtube conspiracy uh, theory video and we found that these were um you know there were f- there were much more positive supportive comments on there than there were critical comments so people who i and- uh, the, we, we conjecture that this probably happened because people who were um, predisposed to it, the people who were directed to see this video by YouTube or from other social media links were people who were likely to accept it and then they go and post positive comments about it. Mm-hmm. People who were going to recognize that it was all nonsense are less likely to have seen it in the first place. And then you get, you know, other, other people who accept the video and like it. They, they will also like the positive comments. They will, they will, uh, and they will click the, you know, the thumbs up on them. They'll click the thumbs down on the negative comments So mm-hmm. they disappear from view And before long. You know, you've got this real echo chamber having appeared where you've got, um, videos promoting these, um, you know, these untrue and often racist ideas. Um, mm-hmm. and all of the comment, you know, all the top comments on them seem to be positive, seem to be saying, you know, you know, keep up, keep up the fight. You know, you're a truth teller. You're so brave, telling this truth. Yeah, <laughs> and th- th- this doesn't happen with you know with with TV or newspapers.
0: It just doesn't happen. So we, we've mm-hmm. got to, the around. echo chamber confirmation bias kind of uh, effect.
1: When yeah, I mean,
0: the, the term echo chamber originally
1: uh, it, it was originally proposed actually to to, di- to discuss conventional media. Actually, it was about um, hmm. uh, conservative um, radio shows. Uh, in America, mm-hmm. and, they, and and uh, uh, the way that they sort of echo each other, but that's um, there's far more potential for that to happen in on social media yeah. than wherever it
0: was on the legacy media. And when it comes to you know when it comes to social media, when it comes to creating these these echo chambers and these you know people searching for that confirmation bias, what what do you think it is about the COVID pandemic in particular that has made it such? You know, such fertile ground for these conspiracies and for the spread of this misinformation via social media, in, in particular.
1: Well, in, in fact, in, every time there's a, a major public health emergency around an infectious disease, there are conspiracy theories. Uh, the, this is one of the, you know, for you know, there, there were conspiracy theories around uh, around mm-hmm. SARS. There were conspiracy theories around. Uh, yeah. Zika, there were conspiracy theories around AIDS. So conspiracy theories are, they they quite reliably emerge as um, uh, popular explanations of of, um, infectious disease. So it was always quite likely that that, that this would happen with with COVID-19 as well. Um, I think the reasons why people tend to jump to, why some people uh, jump to, Conspiracy theories as an explanation of infectious diseases is because infectious diseases are mysterious. Mm-hmm. And you can't see the infection happening. You know um, the, the the viruses or the virus particles or the or the bacterial spores or whatever they they, you can't see them. They're invisible to the naked eye. You can you can get ill without having uh, without you know without without having seen anything happen. So it's sort of mysterious and, and sort of magical theming. Um, mm-hmm. And you know for also because they, these are often deadly, uh, they're also frightening. So you've got people being yeah. frightened about something quite reasonably frightened about something it's about something mysterious with an unseen cause. Uh so already you've got you, you, you can see how that ties into the the conspiracy mythology, mm-hmm. fantasies about um, you know, major world events being caused by um secret conspiracies of hidden people you know working away in the shadows to make bad stuff happen it's not like you know, uh, i mean of course there are many conspiracy theories which come to explain wars or something like that but it's, it's mm-hmm. different than, for example you know planes flying over and dropping bombs or something like that which you can actually see of course conspiracy theories do come up with wildly implausible fantasies as explanations why wars happen or, or what or, or for things that happen in wars but with infectious diseases i think there's um because of the of their, of their mysteriousness they they, they they it's in in the in the popular imagination they have an affinity with this idea of conspiracies
0: but one of the looking at the study itself one of the the questions that i found you know fascinating was when it came to the reporting of the the death rates the uh, reporting of you know the the numbers uh, you know who who were suffering from from covid just a few weeks ago on another podcast you know we are discussing the effects of lockdown and how one of the issues with having these constant you know Daily updates in terms of numbers of dead was almost this numbing effect uh, to the scale of what was really going on. Do you see that also playing a role when it comes to, you know, in the findings of the study, people who believe these numbers are either overreported or, you know, being exaggerated for the sake of pushing this to become more of a crisis? Or,
1: well, uh, I think I think that's a that's a different thing there because it's not. Um, this is people seeing those numbers and saying, "I don't believe it." Mm-hmm. Uh, then there, there's you know it, there's a different thing of people possibly seeing these numbers over and over again and becoming sort of numb to them. This is people seeing them and just saying, "I don't believe it. This is made up." And by and people not just saying uh, these numbers are wrong, but they are that they, mm-hmm. somebody is trying to deceive us. You know, we the, there's allegations at the moment that the way that. Um, some of the COVID deaths, but well, the way that COVID deaths have been counted in, in, in some totals uh, causes a, a small level of exaggeration inadvertently. Yeah. That, that's not what this is about. It's not that, you know, some, some deaths have been inadvertently misclassified as, as COVID-related when they may not have been. Uh, this is people believing that, that somebody is actually deliberately tricking us. The, um, mm-hmm. And that's, um, it's a, you know, it's much more of a minority position to react like that most people won't assume that they are lying to us, but mm-hmm. some do. And, that, um, and that's, uh, and strangely enough, that was one of, the be- one of the conspiracy theory beliefs which we found was most predictive of holding other conspiracy theory beliefs. So, you know, if somebody believes that the, the uh, COVID-19 death toll is being deliberately exaggerated deliberately exaggerated, not just that it might mm-hmm. be inadvertently a little bit higher than it should be. Um, if they believe that it's been deliberately exaggerated, then they're quite likely to believe in other conspiracies around COVID-19. Yeah. It's an expression of a particular mentality, this idea mm-hmm. that the authorities, as, as uh, David Aronovich said in his, his book about conspiracy theories and voodoo histories, you know, that the idea that the, the authorities, including the, the authorities that we democratically elect, are systematically corrupt. It's that sort of radical mistrust in, in anyone who has any sort of, of power in our society. That's what's reflected in, in this
0: belief. Well, because one, one of the conspiracies that I find, you know, most just well, you know, mind-blowing to me in terms of, you know, how could anyone possibly kind of believe this? or so how is there any link? Is the one linked to um, 5G radiation? Yeah. Um, COVID linked to 5G radiation. How, how, you know, in the study or in the explorations you've been doing during this pandemic, what explanations have you found for this? Uh, you know, how are people falling for this uh, for this idea? Well, you know, I mean, but many
1: of the things that uh, that uh, conspiracy believers believe in seem really seem really difficult to believe. Um, <laughs> yeah. The thing is that if you uh, that particular one, it's depending on how it's. Yeah, to to understand that one, you've got to recognise that they're not suggesting that the five G networks spread the coronavirus. Mm. They're suggesting either that the coronavirus does not exist, and the five G networks and the symptoms that we think are caused by coronavirus are actually caused by five G. Uh, yeah, or they're suggesting that uh, coronavirus does exist, but uh, but our in our natural resistance to it is being destroyed by five G. Mm. Um. Now, the, the first one, uh, I think the reason why that belief arises, well, the basic reason is, you know, if you, if you believe that, um, that the coronavirus doesn't exist, mm-hmm. uh, you've then got to come out uh, if you believe that, you know, the, the numbers of people said to be uh, dying from COVID-19 are, you know, are exaggerated or, or completely fabricated, um, you've got to believe that something is, something is harming these people. Mm-hmm. Now, some conspiracy theorists will suggest that actually it's, you know, these people are dying of all sorts of different things, like heart attacks and whatever, and they're being misdiagnosed as having yeah. uh, COVID-19. But, you know, we we do have a, a there is a real uh, spike in, in excess deaths. So mm-hmm. more people are dying than normal. So if if you acknowledge that more people are dying than normal, but you don't believe that they're being killed by um, by the coronavirus, you've got to think of something else which is, which is doing that. Mm-hmm something else must be killing them. Um, and there, there were already conspiracy theories around uh, 5g and just as there were with 4g and just as, you know, going back in time <laughs> there were with radio for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> These two things have come together because, um, you know, like, like radio, um, 5g is mysterious. You know, you've mm-hmm. got visible ways moving through the air and you know, do, doing something. Um, so it, it sort of, in the popular imagination, it lends itself to conspiracy-type thinking. Now, most people aren't going to indulge in that, and they aren't going to take it seriously if they hear somebody else indulging in it. But if you have someone who's already uh, so radically mistrustful of the authorities that they think that people might actually be lying about the fact that uh, people are dying of a virus, hmm. um, then they, they may use this as an explanation for, well, okay, then why are the people dying? Well, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's 5G and you get this idea you know 5g is new it's mysterious uh, covid-19 is new it's mysterious a connection that's the, that's the
0: way that's that the, um, that the logic works uh, during the course of the study how did you how did you find the correlation between you know social media use in particular so the use of you know the several platforms that you do list such as facebook and youtube how do you relate the the usage of those to the belief in the conspiracies that are put forward in, in the in the search as well in the research
1: well, what we found was that um, people who, the more somebody uses what we call the, what we, in our, in our paper published in Psychological Medicine, what we call the legacy media, that's uh, newspapers and magazines and uh, television and radio, the more people rely on those for information about, um, about coronavirus or COVID 19, the less likely they are to believe in conspiracy theories. Um, okay. On the other hand, the more people rely on social media, we asked about specific platforms. We asked about YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. The more people, um, the more people use those for in, rely on those for information about uh, about this disease. The more likely they are to believe in conspiracy theories, uh, and that, that effect yeah. is stronger for some platforms than for others. Uh, the, the effect was strongest for. Um, YouTube. So people, Mm -hmm. the the small minority of people who uh, rely very heavily on YouTube for information about coronavirus or COVID-19, they they are very likely to believe in, they are the most likely to believe in conspiracy theories. But in fact, all social media platforms, including ones with the effect of smaller, like like Twitter and WhatsApp, Mm -hmm. uh, all social media platforms were associated with belief in conspiracy theories.
0: Okay, well, and also one of the other areas, you know, of course, is uh, uh, as well as social media. You also look at, oh, well, it, it's mentioned in the research as well. You know, education levels and political affiliation. What were some interesting findings that you found with regards to those two factors uh, and belief in these conspiracy theories?
1: Well, um, you know, th- this isn't mentioned in the um, this isn't mentioned in in the paper which we published, but uh, because we were well, we were we were focusing on the on on media use. Yeah. Um, but I knew you were interested in this, so yes. I've reanalyzed the data to check the you know the effects of, of education and, and political views. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um, people who uh, are educated to degree level are less likely to believe in conspiracy theories mm-hmm. about COVID-19. And also people uh, they're, they're less likely to believe in conspiracy theories than people who are educated not educated to degree level. Mm-hmm. Or people who voted remain in the... Um, in the Brexit referendum in 2016, yeah. they're also less likely to believe in conspiracy theories about COVID-19. However, both of these effects are smaller than the ones we focus on in the article. Okay, It's smaller than the effect of age. Uh, younger, pe- Older people are less likely to believe in uh, conspiracy theories about COVID-19, for example. Uh, yeah. They're more likely to vote to leave, but they're less likely to believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, and that's a stronger effect than than um, uh, education or um, or uh, political belief. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, voting history rather. I did, we didn't ask about political beliefs, but we do. Uh-huh. Know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, age is a much stronger predictor than uh, education or um, uh, or uh, political position. Um, but the strongest predictors of all were. Uh, Media usage, so uh, the use of social media, uh, that the the effect of social media to uh, increase a person's likelihood of believing in in conspiracy theories. That that was the major predictor that we found. That's, I
0: think, it addresses one of the the questions that I had about the study, which was, you know, when it came to the question of age, you know, young people being more likely to believe in. I think one of the statistics, you know, twenty-two percent of sixteen to twenty-four year olds believe five G is linked to COVID nineteen, which is the highest of any of the age groups. I found that slightly counterintuitive in a way because for myself, you know, as a young person, as someone who's grown up using social media, I felt as if, you know, we're more critical or more likely to, yeah, you know, critically assess information that were presented uh, online having seen the development of, you know, platforms such as Facebook going from the simple friend sharing, you know, sharing pictures and status platform into what it is today. I, just from, you know, whether it's something you found in the study or from your own kind of uh, thoughts on the subject, why do you think it is that we're seeing it the other way around? Is it mostly just used to? Is it related to the usage, or is there something deeper going on with regard to younger people and the information they're getting? It's a difficult question to answer. Uh, if you look at simply the, of variables, the effect of demographic variable, the effect of age seems quite
1: large. Uh, mm-hmm. the effect gets smaller once you include the media usage variables. It doesn't. Okay. De- So, uh, at the moment, it seems that younger people are substantially more likely to believe in COVID-19 conspiracy theories than older people. A part of that that effect is explained by uh, their greater use of social media. Mm -hmm. So, younger people, yes, probably uh, probably younger people on the whole have more more, uh, media literacy with regard to social media than older people because they're more exposed to it, etc. But on the other hand, they are more exposed to it. Yeah. So, you know, if these beliefs are mostly being disseminated through social media, which, uh, you know, this, this study can't, you know, can't prove that, but it would be consistent with that. Um, if these beliefs are mostly being disseminated through social media, then they will be being encountered more by young people. Now, out of those young people, there will be some who are uh, more critical of what they consume and some who are less likely to be mm-hmm. well, critical of, of what they consume. Um, the, the more highly educated younger people are more likely to be critical of it, but because younger people are much more exposed to social media and much less exposed to legacy media, which provides more information about COVID nineteen, um, that we would expect them, I think, to uh, to be at greater risk
0: of, of of believing misinformation and untruths. And also, it's touching back on one of the other interesting um, statistical results, uh, you know, Leave voters so 43 three percent. Were twice as likely as Remain voters, twenty uh, percent, to believe that the virus was created in the laboratory. Uh, is this linked? Do you think to what you mentioned before in terms of this distrust of authority? Is that also are we seeing a similar attitude? You know, distrust of the European Union also leading to a distrust of what authorities are telling us about the virus as well.
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, I think it's important to recognise that there are you know there are many different reasons why people voted Leave in the mm-hmm. referendum. Um, among those those different reasons, you know, there um, there will be people who um, there will be people who voted in order to leave because of their um, mm-hmm. radical mistrust of authority. Mm-hmm. Some people will have voted to leave because they trust the British government more than they trust the EU. Yeah. Others may have voted to leave because they mistrust all governments. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think there may well be it. There may well turn. You know, this is not something that our our data would 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 enable us to look into. But it may well be there's no overlap between that latter category and the people who believe in conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Those who not only they they don't just mistrust the the EU government, they're, they're, if they but also mistrust the UK government. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the conspiracy theory community online, you know people like David Icke, etc. You'll find yeah. that they're all levers. Uh, you know, they were all anti-EU. They were they were celebrating when 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 Britain voted to leave, etc. Now that they are not representative of, of Leave voters as a whole at all, but uh, there is amongst you know there is a particular group of people that will have voted Leave uh, and that will believe in
0: conspiracy theories. That's clear. And you've made also you know through discussion, you referred a few times to you know, we're distinguishing here between between social media as kind of these newer forms. Of course, things that are online. And, uh, and legacy media you mentioned. So, you know, traditional outlets like newspapers, TV, radio. Do you see this? Has there been any role uh, of those platforms as well through the pandemic as providing a platform for these conspiracy theories? Are we seeing any of these theories emerging from these legacy media outlets? Uh,
1: sadly, yes. I mean, it's important to recognize that overall, our finding was that people who, who rely on the legacy media, especially broadcast media, mm. you know, it's. Especially broadcast, the effect is mostly produced by broadcast media. To be honest, the people who rely on the legacy media, especially broadcast media, were less likely to believe in conspiracy theories. There have been cases where um, elements within the legacy media have promoted conspiracy theories. The worst example of that is um, the, the uh, local TV station, London Live, which quite early on um quite early on in the crisis it's uh, broadcast a an edited version of an interview um, uh, an interview with david icke which was carried out by another youtuber called um Brian rose who's done a lot to promote david icke's com- conspiracy theories online um that interview in, during that interview icke was able to uh, put forward his, his his views about coronavirus with with no meaningful challenge and in fact was yeah. presented as an authority and, this was referred to ofcom which which slapped down london live and and said that they the, the um you know that it was um uh, that this this broadcast had the potential to cause serious harm mm-hmm. um there, there was also the case where the um Eamon Holmes, um appeared to give um appeared to give uh, credence to to conspiracy theories about about covid-19 um live on air, and then uh, had to retract that later. Um, there have been a few cases where newspapers have published um, stories which, which lend credibility to the idea that uh, the virus was created in a lab, which, of course, all the evidence suggests it wasn't. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a conspiracy theory. On the whole, though, uh, the quality of information that's been uh, released through, the, through what we, were in the paper, were calling the legacy media uh, broadcasters and print media, essentially, on the whole, that information has been uh, quite good quality, and certainly much higher quality than a lot of what has unfortunately been circulating through social media.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't want to sound like a, a, a conspiracist, as to put it myself. Um, you know, if we can't obviously, you know, we really shouldn't be trusting everything that you see through social media, and there is also the potential for you know legacy media to let's say, as you say, there is instances where it has been presenting these uh, these conspiracies. What, you know, from your point of view, uh, and, and from your own point of view, as as a citizen as well, as a member of the general public, where, where do you turn to as a, as a trusted source? What do you turn to as, you know, a source that you can look to and say, trust that this is giving me accurate information, and I'm not going to be fed, you know, conspiracy from here?
1: Oh my gosh! I'm not sure I can answer that question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <I'll> other, <laughs> um, I'll other, you know. um,
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's important to recognise that there is uncertainty. So, you know, it's not that like anybody is going to give us the whole truth about COVID-19 because scientists are still working it out. Yeah. Um, but in terms of of getting a a, a reasonable and uh, a, um, a reasonable and unbiased view of um, knowledge of, of COVID-19 as we currently understand as as the scientific community currently stands, it, you can't do better than organisations like, for example, the BBC, yeah, which will give you not the view, not the opinion of an individual journalist, but they will give you something that has been looked at by that that has been worked over by a number of people, which has fact checkers looking mm-hmm. at it. Um, this is uh, an organisation as well which uh, which has to put out information that it can later that it will later be willing to stand by. An organisation like the BBC. Uh, survives on the strength of its reputation mm-hmm. a you know a a YouTube channel survives on the strength of clicks so it can mm-hmm. send, yeah. send, sensational get you know half a million a million clicks mm-hmm. one week a uh, load of people criticize it next week it doesn 't matter At least by then it 's got another video mm-hmm. you know? An organization like the BBC which relies on its reputation for its success, is much more likely to be giving you um, to be to be giving you information which is going to stand up to, to scrutiny, because it's in, it's in interest to do so, and because it makes the it and because it employs people, it invests in making sure that its uh, its reports are reasonable and uh, and fair and accurate um, representations of, of knowledge as it, as it currently stands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this doesn't imp- apply with uh, you know, anonymous uh, Facebook pages or um youtube channels with just one or two people running them etc um th- there is there is you know if you there is something about the business model of, of what i call the legacy media whether they are public service broadcasters like the bbc which i mean okay it gets its money from the license fee but the arrangement which gives it the license fee every every which is renewed every few years that that arrangement would not be renewed if the bbc was seen to be regurgitating falsehoods the way that. Yeah. Uh, clickbait news sites do uh, the same with, with newspapers that um, that have they, they survive on their reputation they get cha- they, they get challenged if they make mistakes they have to publish retractions etc they care about their reputation and they invest in their reputation their reputation for providing information that can be relied on to the extent that any information can
0: and when it comes to these issues of, uh, of accountability and, you know, regulatory oversight as well, as you mentioned there, Ofcom is, is the UK regulator. I think in the States you have uh, the FCC, I believe, who, you know, regulate the, the media content there. One of the things, so I, I want to quote yourself, actually, from um, the statement that was released uh, along with the press release for, for the study, uh, where you said, it's time for us to think about the action that we can take to address this very real problem mm-hmm. in terms of misinformation. So what, what responsibilities do you believe these social media platforms have? Uh, you know, platforms like YouTube and Facebook to, to curb the misinformation that is being spread on them? And, you know, do you think they're doing enough? Uh, that, is, that is
1: a really important question to address. Um, now, the, 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 the really key thing that we've got to recognize before we start thinking about an answer to that question is that up until now, and, you know, this is still going on, these, com- these companies, it's not just that they haven't been doing enough to curb the, 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 the spread of, of misinformation on their sites, they have actively complicit in it.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: You, you know, you, let's take YouTube as an example. I keep coming back to YouTube because our findings uh, in that, that were published in Psychological Medicine, our findings show that YouTube, uh, use of YouTube was even more strongly associated with belief in, in conspiracies than the, than the other uh, social media platforms. So mm-hmm. YouTube, if it's recommending a video to you, it is actively, you know, it, it's actively endorsing that video. You know, I, well, the point at which I realized that there was a problem here was when I got a, a, a COVID-19 conspiracy theory video recommended to me by YouTube. I logged into YouTube and there it was, top of the list. First thing that YouTube was telling me I might be interested to watch was a video suggesting that the coronavirus doesn't exist. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, YouTube is complicit there. It's not just that it hasn't removed the thing from the platform. It's that it was actually pushing me to watch it now it was an it made that decision algorithmically it didn't it wasn't that there was some youtube employee who who, who said you know what I, I think we need to make people watch this stuff it was an algorithm mm-hmm. yeah YouTube's in charge of that algorithm yeah you know, youtube scientists designed that algorithm and if that if that algorithm is pushing content to to people that youtube doesn't want to be associated with then it's got to change the algorithm to make sure that doesn't happen because right now yeah. youtube Complicit in this, we've got to recognize that individuals and organizations that run uh, Facebook pages, that run YouTube channels, that run Twitter accounts, whatever, that are promoting this misinformation, they are me- they are they are media businesses. They make money. They get clicks. They get advertising revenue. Their their business is telling lies about this public health emergency that we're all in and up until now the social media companies have been happy to act as their business partners now that's what has to stop it's not just that the social media companies have to have to do more to stop it the social media companies have to stop uh, have to uh, have to cease their partnership with these people this is not a free speech issue if people have the right mm-hmm. to say whatever they want uh, within certain limits that are quite r- widely recognised nobody has the right to profit from telling lies about a public health emergency. There are people whose, whose business is built around, this, uh, around misinformation, and the, mm-hmm. the media companies are their business partners.
0: And also looking at, but in terms of you know, the content or you know, moderating or even policing this content, let's say you know, we would continue looking at YouTube as, as this platform. They said there's 720,000 hours of new content that is uploaded on YouTube each and every day. Uh, is it is it is it feasible even to to expect youtube to sift through all of this content to to pick out these malicious and you know, misinformative videos uh, and either delete them or promote you know stop promoting them how is there even you know a possibility that this this could happen i don't see any need for
1: youtube to remove every single conspiracy video uh, but it you uh, have a conspiracy if you have videos that are getting half a million views a million views whatever you can be sure that youtube is aware of them yeah this is what youtube wants it wants content which is getting this much attention so it must be aware of this stuff and it could be looking at those and saying wait a minute okay this one is is, is getting loads and loads of views that's usually we would think that's really great but actually this is a piece of content which we cannot be associated with for reputational reasons mm-hmm. Let's stop promoting it now. Maybe let's remove it from the platform. Maybe let's ban that content producer entirely from the platform. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if somebody releases a a, a video that gets four or five hits. It really doesn't. If you've got, but if you've got people who are making a lot of money for the platform by putting up videos that are getting hundreds of thousands of views and generating lots of re- advertising revenue for YouTube, some of which YouTube is then handing back to the content producers, then there is a clear business relationship going on there. Yeah. And I, th- I think that YouTube could quite reasonably be expected to terminate that, that relationship once it realizes what the content of the videos is. And these videos do get reported. People report this stuff. You then have content. Uh, uh, you then have content checkers who are watching these reported videos and, and looking at them and making a decision. You know, should we remove this? Should we not? So, you, know, it's it's not like uh, YouTube will have any will have any
0: trouble actually identifying what the what the problematic videos are. Mm-hmm. And looking to so we have you know from one tech giant which is you know Google and YouTube and looking the other way towards uh, towards Facebook. You know, recently there has been some controversy around. I think uh, Twitter has started to either remove or censor tweets, and even censoring uh, Donald Trump himself. Whereas Facebook has taken another stance of saying, you know, this is an open platform. We don't really believe in censorship. We don't want to, you know, curb the freedoms of people who use our platform. Mm-hmm. Well, what are what are your views on on that approach? That more, it's much more, almost just less a fair, you know, it, it's a platform that people do what they want on it. How how do you view that attitude coming from? Uh, from Facebook, which is you know this hugely influential tech giant, you know we have three billion users. Uh, is this going to lead to you know much bigger problems? You know, even looking beyond COVID as well.
1: Well, believe it or not, bearing in mind what I said, i would have just said, I am anti censorship. Mm. Um, my my problem here isn't that people are being allowed to express their opinions. Mm. My problem here is that these social media companies are making money in partnership mm. with people who tell lies. Yeah, that that's that's not a free speech issue. Now, I think we've got to be very careful that whatever solutions social media companies, because I, I think social media companies can be pressured to start taking to uh, start um, taking action to remove this sort of content, regardless of how much money it makes for them. That we, they can be pressured to do that. And I hope that it will happen. But we to make sure that whatever approaches they take to doing that do not lead to the suppression of legitimate political discourse. Yeah, I don't want to see censorship of, of, of people's political
0: opinions. Just um, yeah, hide them in the wallet rather than uh, taking away from or the rights and freedoms of individuals.
1: Yes, but it, the, the trouble is that the policies can be misapplied. Uh, and like, mm-hmm. a good example of this is the. Um, it's, you know, we're going off the topic of COVID nineteen, but um, YouTube, uh, various social media platforms, including YouTube, have uh, policies which um, which forbid uh, terrorist content, which is great. Mm-hmm. Content allowed there. The trouble is that stuff gets removed which wasn't terrorist content. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got actual videos which were have been taken by by citizen journalists and uploaded to to Mm -hmm. YouTube and and provide evidence of atrocities happening. There have been many cases where those have been uh, wrongly removed from the platform. Mm. So you know the the trouble is whatever policies the platforms bring in, they could have these negative consequences. You know we might. We we could very easily see legitimate political points of view being being censored, which mm-hmm. I don't. See. So I think what these what the platforms have got to do it's not just about pressuring them to um, take action against forms of content that hitherto they've been happy to make money from, mm-hmm. it's about making sure that they do it in a way that is transparent and that is accountable. Really, these platforms are going to have to open themselves, open up their moderation procedures for audit by democratically accountable bodies. Mm-hmm. I would like to see them having to uh, justify their uh, having to justify their um, their policies mm-hmm. and the way those are implemented algorithmically, and uh, and in terms of training for uh, content moderators. I'd like them to, to see them justifying that and um, and providing evidence that they that it's working as intended yeah. to public authorities. Or to independent regulators, or um, uh, that will that will then be able to to verify that they are not removing content that should be allowed to remain. Mm-hmm. And this this could so include much, content yeah. we don't like, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so looking for a social media version of, of Ofcom or expanding the powers to cover these platforms as well.
1: I think something like that would be in order. Um, yeah. You know, this is not about this is not about driving people off off social media because they express the wrong opinions.
0: Um, and we've got to make sure that it doesn't become that. Absolutely. So going back to you know, of course, the main topic of this conversation, which is you know, looking at conspiracies, looking at COVID nineteen. Uh, now, of course, a great many of um, I imagine everyone uh, who is listening to this podcast will have social media accounts. They will be on Facebook. They will be watching things on YouTube. What are you know, from your point of view, what are some kind of helpful, let's say, hints and tips in a way, or what should people be looking out for and be wary of uh, at this time when you're getting this content? To make sure that you don't, you know, fall into these traps or fall into these co- conspiracy black holes, almost. Um, mm. Is there any advice that you would give to social media users of things that they should keep in mind?
1: Okay, that's a difficult one, right? Okay, right. Well, the the easiest thing to say is just look at where the inf- look at where the information is coming from. A lot of the uh, a lot of the me- the um, legacy media content that is consumed these days. Is consumed through social media. It's because somebody tweeted an article, somebody shared an article on Facebook. Uh, the 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 the, the organisations themselves, um, like the, you know the newspapers, the TV channels, they have their own social media channels where they put out their the stories, etc. So mm-hmm. a lot of the um, a lot of of what I call legacy media content is now con- consumed through social media. So just the fact that you're consuming your consuming stuff through social media isn't itself a problem. Mm-hmm. But look at where things are actually coming from that you're seeing shared mm-hmm. if it's coming from a um if it's coming from uh, an, an, an organization which has a reputation then that reputation is your guide to how reliable this particular piece of content is likely to be if it's coming from uh, an organization that you've never heard of before or a person whose name may not even be real mm-hmm. yeah that really has to be taken with a large pinch of salt. That's the main piece of advice I would give i mean the other the other piece of advice, and this is this, this is harder to follow, is to be aware of what conspiracy theories look like yeah, because like I said in, earlier in the interview uh, the conspiracy theories they have a particular form which was established quite early on mm-hmm. uh, It's a story that that people tell about how um you know how the evil evil uh evil people working in secret have have produced the bad things in the world yeah that story is wrong it can't be right the world doesn't work like that mm-hmm. Nobody is able through secret plotting to, to 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 control every everything that happens in the world so when you see a version of that story it doesn't matter whether you know some versions of that story are obviously racist like where the the where, where it's, it's supposed to be the jews that are, that mm-hmm. are trying to make everything awful um but any story which, which, which says that, that, you know, the, the reason we can't have nice things is because these people are secretly pulling mm-hmm. the world everybody's eyes and manipulating us and uh, pulling the strings. Any story like that is wrong because the world doesn't work like that. You cannot achieve those effects by those means. So recognize when people are telling you that story mm-hmm. and, and, and call them out for it.
0: Absolutely. It's, uh, it's brilliant advice. And, uh, you know, the study itself, I, I you know even when reading through it and looking through you know, the brief findings on the full write-up as well, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And I think it also raises further areas that could be, you know, looked into beyond this point. Uh, do you have any plans at the moment uh, for, you know, future research that's going to either build on these findings or explore a different facet uh, of this issue?
1: <sighs> oh, gosh.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Um, th- there's a lot of work that still has to be
1: done on, on conspiracy, uh, on conspiracy theories and other forms of misinformation, um, both on social media and circulating through other means. Um, we need research, which brings together looking at the, uh, the form of these conspiracy theories, looking at how they're actually presented on social media or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then relating that to how audiences react to them. I've already done some work like that in the, um, With, uh, for example, there's a a paper that came out uh, um, in in June in uh, Journal of Contemporary Antisemitism where we look at a a David Icke video, Uh, I mentioned that earlier in the the interview, we look at a David Icke video, we look at the comments on that. And we look at the way that people responded to uh, Icke's Icke's conspiracy theory intent by supporting it and also by uh, coming out with uh, anti-Jewish statements. Mm Mm-hmm. We need, uh, but what, that was only looking at uh, people who are actually using YouTube. We could go, we could, you know, people who are actively using YouTube and posting comments on it. Yeah. We need to do more work where we look at what happens when the silent majority sees this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. now my, you know, my gut tells me that most people are going to look at a video by David Icke and, and, and laugh at it. Yeah. Uh, but some people don't. And we need to understand why it is that some people react in a in that different way. Mm-hmm so that we can take more effective action to make sure that these ideas do not become mainstream in our society. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I absolutely look forward to that research, uh, you know, when when it does emerge. And, um, well, Dr. Anton, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and for sharing your insights on what has been, I think, a really interesting phenomenon that's emerged, you know, during this crisis, these these conspiracies in particular. And, of course, as always, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this journey of discovery. As always, I do hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Learn something new and I look forward to welcoming you again next time if you enjoy the show please do follow us on soundcloud or spotify you can also find us on research world and if you have any ideas for future content please do send them along to podcast at smr.org once again a big thank you to dr allington thank you and uh, until next time please do stay safe stay healthy and most of all stay curious